Um, we'll be uh, talking through that here in uh, just a second. Over the last, uh, you know, many weeks, we've been talking through the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is, is, is really one story. In fact, the entirety of Scripture is one story uh, about God's redemption of his people throughout all of time. But the book of Genesis is really kind of the beginning of that. And it tells us uh, essentially about how God created uh, all things. And he created all things good. But as a result, what happened was this, is that uh, man and woman chose to sin against God. And as a result of their sin, all of us have become sinful. But in the very beginning of the book of Genesis, it talks about how uh, God is going to save. He's going to redeem. There's a, it's an inkling of redemption in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which says this. Uh, as God speaks to uh, the serpent, as he uh, pronounces this, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that, that kind of cryptic saying is referring to this offspring that is ultimately going to, to crush the snake. This offspring. And so as we read through Genesis, what we've been trying to follow is who is this offspring? What, who, where is this offspring going to come from? And so we followed that through Adam's family uh, and through the family of Noah. And then uh, we come to uh, Abraham, whose name was Abram at the time. And God calls Abram out of, this, uh, out of this culture, out of this pagan culture in Ur. And then we see the, the family of Abraham go on. And we see the seed of the woman or the offspring that's going through there. And it is through this offspring, through this family line, that ultimately Jesus is going to come. But right now, here we are, we're, we're kind of midstream here. We got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob has his 12 sons. And Jacob's 12 sons represent the 12 tribes of, of Israel. So these are God's people. And through one of those tribes is going to come uh, Jesus. Jesus, the serpent killer, the, the serpent crusher, if you will. And so we've been talking through this, this, this whole story Genesis 37, we finally kind of make a break from Jacob and, and really primarily about Jacob into the life of Jacob's descendants, so his sons. And we learned a few things. We learned that Reuben was a guy who, the, as the oldest son, he had slept with one of his dad's wives, which was kind of an egregious, obviously more than kind of a completely egregious thing. We'll just call it what it is. And then you have Simeon and Levi who turned into serial killers and wiped out uh, all of the men in a city because uh, they, uh, one guy had raped his sister, Dinah. And so we have, here we have three brothers that are down. And then it begins to talk about the story of Joseph. And really, uh, Joseph is turning out to be kind of this Jesus figure. He is a type of Christ, if you will, from the Bible. As you look at the life of Joseph, we, we've seen a lot of people that have not been really great people. We've seen their flaws and all of the things that they have done kind of wrong, and we've, we've highlighted those and shown those to us. But the truth is that Joseph is a guy 
who really seems to have his stuff together. Kind of had a, a rough start to his life, but then he's sold into slavery. And that's really the last thing that we hear. But as you read on, you'll see that Joseph is really an amazing character in the book of Genesis. But then you have uh, chapter 38, which is, which is really just kind of a hard stop, a hard break from the life of Joseph. Because it starts his life, and it says he goes into, uh, into slavery in Egypt. And then all of a sudden, here we are, we're going to talk about Judah. But then right after chapter 38, it's chapter 39. And 39 is going to pick up the story of Joseph. So I, I want to give you just a little bit of an inkling as to, uh, in part, why we would talk about what we're going to talk about here shortly. And that is that the life of Joseph being like a type of Christ. He's not Jesus, but he's like Jesus. In a lot of ways, this is going to kind of give us a comparison between the depravity that's in some of Joseph's brothers and, and really all of us, but really it's going to highlight their, uh, his character over their character as it goes on. And so we're going to get into this passage here in chapter 38 here. Here we go, chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite, that's a Canaanite, whose name was Hirah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur, or Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, probably another Canaanite. But, Ur's, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. That's one word in Hebrew. Perform the duty of a brother-in-law. That's one word in, in Hebrew. It's a, it's a common practice. Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. What? Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hirah, the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself 
with a veil wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, Where is the colt prostitute who was at Enaim, at the roadside? And they said, No colt prostitute has been here. Uh-oh. Uh, where... <laughs> Uh, and they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and he didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Okay. So... What do you think? What could we possibly talk about this morning? It's such a hard passage. There's a, I mean, for obvious reasons, uh, this did not make it into my Sunday school class when I was a kid. All right? I don't know. Some of you remember or were in church when you were kids. Not all of you were. So, uh, But there, we used to have these flannel graphs, and there would be a piece of flannel, and then they'd have these little stick figures, and... That would just be awkward, right? Like Judah and Tamar, like, oh, hey. You know, like, <laughs> not a great story for kids. Coincidentally, normally we walk through Genesis, uh, the same passage that we're going uh, through Genesis in here in the kids. Today, not so much, right? They're not even talking about Genesis 38 uh, quite yet. So you can tell them about it when you get home here. So give it, give it a good shot here. What is going on? Why did we just get interrupted in the middle of the story 
of Joseph, not in the middle of it, but in the beginning. It's, it seems like a false start. Like I said, I think it's highlighting the righteousness of Joseph and the unrighteousness of, of these brothers. And I think it's done for a reason, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Now, who is Judah? Judah is a guy who is a calloused person. He's a, he's a very calloused person. In fact, uh, when Joseph is coming towards his brothers, he's wearing his long flowing robe, his coat of many colors that his father had given him. He's the favorite son. His brothers hate him. He's coming through a field to check on them, and his brothers come up with a plan, like we're going to kill him, uh, we're just going to get rid of him, and then we'll be done with this dreamer, they called him, because he had some dreams that God had given him, and they hated those dreams. And so uh, he gets there, and then Judah says in Genesis 37, uh, verse 26, he says, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? I mean, seriously, guys, what do we get out of the deal? We're not going to get anything out of it. We're just going to kill our brother. It's all going to be over. He says in verse 27 of chapter 37, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. He's like, you know, let's not kill him. Let's make some money, and then we'll, we won't have to kill him. So here's a guy who is incredibly calloused. He has made money off of selling his brother. And he sold him for 20 shekels of silver. So what is actually happening here? We're talking about Judah, who is now the first in line. Because you have Reuben and Simeon and, and Levi, who have all been uh, kind of lopped off there because these guys have done bad things. Now Judah is standing in line as the firstborn. He's the firstborn, and they're not going to get the, the birthright. They're not going to get the blessing. Now Judah is standing in line. So now we're going to talk about Judah. So this might be why uh, it says, here's who Judah is. And so it says, it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. So it's telling us a little bit more about Judah. And essentially what it's saying is this, is that uh, Jacob is inconsolable because he's lost his favorite son. He has lost Jacob. I'm sorry, he's lost Joseph. He's inconsolable. Judah has to listen to his dad weeping and wailing. I don't know, you've, I'm, maybe you've been somebody who's experienced death on this level. Man, it's, it's hard. It's like you never get over it. It's like you, you're always dealing with always carrying that around. Judah's the one who had sold his brother. He's the one that came up with the plan. He's got to be the one who feels the most pressure here. So he doesn't want to really be around his dad, so he goes down to the Canaanites. Here's the deal. Joseph is forcibly taken to Egypt, away from God's people. Judah willingly goes away from God's people into Canaan. He essentially leaves, and he begins to hang out with the wrong crowd. And what we begin to see is the progressive nature of sin. We begin to see sin in the life of this guy. I want you young guys especially to listen up this morning because I think there's a progression of sin here that you'll begin to see. 
as you begin to walk away from God's people, as you begin to uh, not be a part of what God is doing, as you, as you continue to kind of leave yourself kind of out there flapping in the breeze, essentially you're like Judah who walks away from God's people, away from what God is doing, and you begin to hang out with uh, the Hurrah, the Adu- uh, Adulamite. Now Hurrah is probably not a bad guy. We don't know a whole lot about him except he's a Canaanite. And he's hanging out in Canaan. And so here is Judah. He's hanging out with this guy. Verse 2 again says, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. He sees, he takes, and he gets in there, right? So here we see the progression of Judah. Judah walks away from God's people because he had sold his brother, uh, because his dad is in mourning because of his sin, he's walking away, he's hanging out with people that he shouldn't be hanging out with, and then as a result, what's he end up doing? He ends up hooking up with a gal. They don't even say her name. She is, she, she's the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. So he takes her, he goes into her. Immediately, just like that. He's just like, he's in relationship. She conceives, she bears a son, Ur. She conceives again and bears another son. And then Judah does this. He says, you know what? I've got my firstborn son. I'm going to give give him this, uh, this girl, Tamar, who's a Canaanite. So this is another rule that he's breaking. So first of all, he's married someone who is not from God's people. Now that's been several times repeated in, uh, in uh, Genesis here, that God's people are not to be marrying people outside of Israel. Esau did this, and we, we see the trajectory of his life, and now we see Judah do this. Judah marries this woman. He has uh, sons with her, so he's marrying outside of God's people. And then he says, you know what, I've got sons, I'm going to give them Canaanite wives as well. So Judah knows the teaching of his father and of his father's father and so on. He knows that teaching, and yet he's willfully walking away from God. He's willfully walking away from God and relationship with him and God's people. And some of you have a habit of constantly walking away from God. And then life spins out of control, and you just go... You come to the pastor and you say, my life is out of control, and I'm glad we have the opportunity uh, to connect, but I need to tell you that the truth of the matter is, is that you began on a trajectory, perhaps, where you became a believer in Jesus Christ, and you were walking for some time, and then all of a sudden, you just said, you know what, I just don't have time to be a part of God's people. I don't have time to be a part of a community group. I don't have time to be serving. I don't have time for these things. I got busy with this. I I married this gal or what have you. And you just end up walking away from God, walking away from God. And sooner or later, it begins to take its effect in your life. And you say, you know what? I was a kid and and I went to church and I prayed a prayer or whatever. That prayer doesn't mean crap. All right? I mean, you may very well be a believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm telling you, just because you prayed a prayer does not mean that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It means that you heard the truth at some point. And I can't tell you whether you truly believed in your heart, whether you were a believer in Jesus Christ. What I can tell you is this, is that your life doesn't show the evidence of grace. It does not show the evidence 
of God working in you. This is who Judah is. Judah is walking away from God's people. He's marrying people that are not believers. Uh, he's, sending, he's, he's allowing his kids to marry people who are uh, not believers. Today we would say as well, I want to encourage you wholeheartedly. If you're not married yet, don't marry somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. It'll be pain and suffering for you and or you will walk away from the Lord. If you're a, a father or a mother, don't give your kids away to someone who's a non-believer, at least not knowingly. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I just need to say it clear. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, I'm married to an unbeliever, stay married, love them, serve them, that they may come to know Jesus Christ. You should never walk away from that marriage so far as it depends on you. We'll keep going. Verse 6, Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law and raise up offspring. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I need, I need to finish verse 7. Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. I, we don't know what Ur did, but he was a wicked dude, and God was like, I've had enough, and he was done. We, we don't know why. That's all there is to that. So here's Ur, who is married to Tamar, and all of a sudden Ur is dead. So now Tamar is single. So what happens now? So that Judah says to his next son, and this is a custom in that day. It later becomes law in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 25, uh, verses 5 and 6. I'm not going to go there right now. Uh, but he says, I want you to go perform the duty of a brother-in-law. And ultimately what that meant was this, was that when the firstborn son had not had kids with his wife, uh, but he dies, what happens is this, is that the secondborn son is supposed to marry or somehow give, um, give uh, a, a descendant for his brother by having relations with that woman and this was what was normal during this time but it says this that Onan knew that the offspring would not be his in verse 9 it says that Onan knew that he that that this child that he has with Tamar would not actually be his child and so, therefore, he decides not to fully go through with the act. He decides not to do that. And there is some speculation there, but ultimately what it probably means is this, is that the child that he has with Tamar would ultimately then become the firstborn over Onan. So that firstborn child of Onan's would actually be above Onan, and that child would receive the double portion of the inheritance of his father Judah. So it, it's likely that Onan was like, I'm not going to have a kid with Tamar, because then I won't get my double portion. I won't get uh, the, the, the first, first dibs on dad's stuff kind of a deal. And so instead of going through with that act, he withdraws. And so, and it, but it says repeat in three different times, it says offspring, offspring, offspring. So I told you in the beginning about how God is going to bring about an offspring that is going to crush the head of the serpent. We think 
that this is in reference to that. And Onan is specifically saying, I do not want to fulfill God's will for this offspring. I'm going to try to thwart the will of God by providing offspring through, uh, uh, through Tamar, through my brother's wife. I'm going to thwart the, the will of God. So we don't necessarily know exactly what made God upset, but that is perhaps part of it. And so it says in verse 10, And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brothers. Judah starts thinking to himself, this woman is cursed. Like, uh, he's superstitious, not really thinking about the fact that God's kind of lopping off his kids because they're just wicked dudes. And he starts thinking to himself, like, <laughs> Tamar's the problem. And so he says to Tamar, he's like, yeah, why don't you go back to your dad's house and I'll, uh, I'll you know, when, when Shelah is older than five years old, you know, you could, we'll, we'll, we'll start this whole thing over again. But he has no intention of doing that. He has no intention of doing that. That, those first 11 verses just covered about 20 years of history in order to get us here, in order to get us right where we are right here. It says, and this is really act two, verse 12, it says, in the course of time, after uh, the, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So Judah, the father, his Canaanite wife, uh, the, the daughter of Shua, she dies. So here is Judah, a widower. It says, when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend, Hira the Adulamite. So Judah's a single man, again. And here he is, and he's, he's kind of a... Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's been comforted now. He's kind of over the fact that his wife died. And now he calls up his buddy. And he says, uh, hey, man, let's, uh, let's hang out. Let, let, let's, let's, go, let's, go, let's go hang out. Let's go do something. So he's going out, and he's going out to the sheep shearers. Now, the sheep shearers and that season of time might be what we would call like Oktoberfest around here, you know? It's uh, maybe, a, you know, it's the end of the harvest. It's everyone's ready to kind of party a little bit. It would be a little bit like, uh, you know, you just got over the death of your wife, you call up your old college buddies and you say, hey, I'm back in the saddle. I'm coming to hang out at Oktoberfest. We're going to... I'm not saying I want to do that, babe. I'm seriously. It's like shaking your head. I can't concentrate doing this. I don't want to do that. I'm just, I'm preaching about it, the possibility of it. But, uh. so he calls up his buddies and he says, I want to hang out. Let's head, you know, it'd be like Oktoberfest. It might be just that he wants to go clubbing. So he wants to go, go to a club. Do they still call it clubbing? I don't know. That was a few years ago when I did that, but. Verse 13, okay. <laughs> okay. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments, and, uh, and so she dresses up like a prostitute, 
And this is why it says, for she saw that Shalah was grown up and she had not been given him in a marriage. So, uh, uh, I t- Tamar, Tamar totally sees that Judah's just been putting her on for all these years. And so she says, you know what? I, I've been duped. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress up and I'm going to go hit that club where he's going. She knows her father-in-law. How does she know this about him? It's the progressive nature of sin. You see where Judah started out? You see where, he's, where he continues to go? You see all of the choices that he makes? He goes away from God's people. He marries a woman that doesn't know Jesus. He, uh, or doesn't know Yahweh, I should say. He, he, he kind of continues to make these steps. And what does he do? He goes out clubbing. So what does it say here? Verse 15. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned aside to her at the roadside and said, come, let me come into you. Now, what, what was helpful for me was to think about this in like a clubbing atmosphere. So think, of, think about this. This guy goes out and he's like, you know what? I really want to I, I really go out and just kind of party. I want to find a girl. I want to I hang out. And so imagine that they're like in this dark club and the, the, the music is bumping. And it's like bump, 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 you know, doing something like that. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Nope. All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, so, so he's sitting there, and he, he's kind of an old guy at this point. He's trying to hit on some girl. But there's some girl in there that has this mask on her face, and he's just like, dude, she just looked really mysterious. I would really like to get to her. And, he, and so he comes up to her, and, he's, and he says, over the music, he says, uh, come, let me come into you, which is not a great pickup line, right? I mean, like, that's one of the worst pickup lines I've ever heard. I can think of many more. Um, but I won't. Hence my wife. She, she was, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, all right. Here we go. Okay. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And, and so she says, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answers and he says, I will send a young goat from the flock. And she said, did you say that you'd give me a boat from your dock? And he says, no, I said a, a goat from my flock. And she's like, confused and she's like why would you want to give me a goat and he says well I don't have the goat with me right now and she says okay why don't you give me your license and your phone and your social security card right and he's like all right that sounds like a good deal you know you seem like a reputable person uh well, essentially, she says, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. And so he just like gives them to her. Here's a guy that is, that really wants to have relations with this woman. The foolishness of this act is so ridiculous. Here you have a guy who's getting up in age. He just goes to some city. He s- sees some woman. He says, I'd like to come into you. Look at the foolishness, the progressive nature of sin. Here's Judah. He's in the family of God. He's in God's people. And here's Judah. And he just, he sees a prostitute and he's just like, bam, I want to get into relationship with this one. I want, not even relationship, I just want to sleep with her. It's the way that he met his wife before she died. Saw her, took her had her. This, this is 
Judah over and over again. And then the foolishness of him saying, yeah, you can have my signet, my cord, my staff. These are all identifying things. And so this is what he gives her. And so all of this takes place. And it says that Judah sent a young goat back with Hirai. He says, Hirai, remember that girl that I hooked up with the other day? I need you to go take a goat to her. And he says, okay. And so he, he takes the goat back and he, and he goes and he says, hey, where's that girl that was hanging out around here? And they're like, there was no girl here. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no cult prostitute here. And he's like, what? That's, that's crazy. And so he returns to uh, Judah and he says, I haven't found her. And they said that there's no cult prostitute there. And Judah says, you know, let her keep those things. It's no big deal. Uh, it's it's not, not that big of an issue. That's in verse 23. And about three months later, Judah's told, hey, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah, like at the drop of a hat, look at the progressive nature of sin. Judah, at the drop of a hat, says, bring her out and let her be burnt. Think about the double standard here of she's been immoral. A woman who's been immoral, yeah, let's take her out. Let's just cook her up. Think about the fact that Judah is such a hypocrite. He is such a hypocrite. He's been pointing his finger at everybody else. And yet what's going on inside of him is just nasty. It's just nasty. And this is, this is the progressive nature of sin, though. To hide, to not acknowledge who you are personally to not see what, you, what, what is actually going on in your life. How many times have we, have we heard these stories about the Christian preacher, pastor, who's condemning everyone else so hardcore against everything, and then you find out some egregious behavior on his part that he never acknowledged, that he never confessed. Verse 25, Tamar has taken her life in her hands. And it says, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify who these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. The fire is on. She is, like that's happened. Judah said the word. She's being brought outside, and she's about to be burned at the stake in, in, in a, an incredibly horrific way to die. And she says, hey, could you take these to Judah real quick and just, just, just have him identify who these are? So somebody takes this to Judah, and then Judah does something that I think is good here. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I since I did not give her to my son. And then it says he did not know her again. And I don't know if that... That means that Judah fully confessed everything. But what it doesn't say is that Judah lied and that he denied it and he just, he just acted like nothing had happened. What it says is this, is that Judah was confronted with the sin, 
the progressive nature of sin has been, has been ramping up and ramping up and ramping up till he's finally caught in this act. And what takes place is Judah says, I'm caught. You got me. And he says the truth. He says, Tamar, even though she has been immoral, even though she's done something that's wrong, Tamar is more righteous than I am. And he sees the whole thing. His life flashes before him about 20 years of time. Where he goes, I should have given her to Shalah, but I didn't want to give her to Shalah. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to obey God. I didn't, whatever it is. And so he acknowledges it and he says, She's more righteous than I. And then it says, He did not know her again, which essentially says this that he stopped his immorality, at least in that instance. And then from this point, we begin to see a change in Judah. We'll see this later on in the book of Genesis. As we see Judah come to a realization of, of his sin, how it comes to a head, and then he begins to make progress toward being a follower of Yahweh who's walking with him. Now, what is the whole point of this story? It then tells the story about how Tamar has two kids, Perez and Zerah. And it talks about how uh, Perez was supposed to be the younger child because Zerah stuck his hand out of the womb. She ties a scarlet thread around his hand. But he recoils, goes back in, and Perez comes out. And so here's Perez, who's the younger child. And we see that over and over and over again in Genesis, how the younger child, the younger child, the younger child, not the firstborn, not the firstborn, not the firstborn, becomes God's chosen instrument. And so here again we have Perez. And one of the things that you should know is this, is that in the beginning of, of Matthew, there's a genealogy. And that genealogy basically shows the connection from Abraham on. The connection of God's people all the way to the person of Jesus. In fact, it says this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Terah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and so on. What's so crazy about this is that here we have a genealogy that is about God's people. It's about God's people, and yet here, right in the middle of it, we have Tamar, who's a Canaanite, who had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law and bore a child. And that child went on and, and, and created a family, and that child went on and created a family until we get to King David, and then we get all, all the way to Jesus. Do you see that Jesus, in his family line, in his family tree, he has despicable things? He has 
incestuous relationships. He, have, he has people that don't obey him. He has Canaanite women. He has a Moabite woman. He has probably a Hittite, which is Bathsheba. So Ruth, Bathsheba. In Jesus' line, all, all three of those women are mentioned. Now, why? Why does God choose to use these women who are not of God's family, who are not a part of this? It's because of this. This is what I, 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 I believe. It's because as we look at this life, as we look at the life of Judah, and we see how messed up and, and horrible it is, and, and the progressive nature of sin, God looks in that story and he is pleased that she had an opportunity to be a part of this. God is pleased to show, like, the, even though this family is messed up, even though this family has difficulty, even though she's a Canaanite woman, yes, I am here to save her, and I'm here to save Ruth, and I'm here to save Bathsheba. And so what's he saying to you? And Let's say that you're somebody who's been in the midst of that progressive nature of sin, which all of us, by the way, are in the midst of that, and hopefully we stop that short through sanctification, becoming more like Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. What you must see is this, is that God is still at work. God is still at work, even in the midst of your broken family, even in, in the midst of all of the stuff that's been going on in your life, all of the stuff that's happened to you, all of the stuff that you've done to walk away from God, all of the ways that you, that you have royally screwed up, God is still working in the midst of that. And Matthew chapter one shows us this. God says, listen, I knew about Tamar, and I knew that that took place, and I knew what happened there, and yet I used it to bring about the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the serpent crusher, the offspring. See, God uses messed up people in messed up situations, people that don't even look like they should be a part of this family. He uses them, he redeems them, and he makes them a part of his sovereign plan of salvation. Now, where are you at today? You got stuff that's, that's been messed up for a while. You come from a family. You come from uh, another side of town. You're not used to being a part of the church. You're not used to being connected with these things. God is able to use you right where you are. God is able to save you right where you are through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change anything. You just receive Jesus Christ by faith. You don't have to make yourself any better. God is the one who's going to do the work in your life. You're somebody who's, who's been on that, in that progressive nature of sin. You've been somebody who's been a part of the local church, but then you dislocated yourself. Somehow you got separated from the church, and you went away, and you did your own thing. And the time is now to just admit the truth in a similar way that Judah did. Admit the truth that I am not in a good place. I've been floundering. 
I've been involved in wrong relationships. I've been in areas that I should not be. And now it's time to connect with God's people so that you can be a witness to your friends, so that you can be a witness to the people around you. See, here's the truth. Jesus went to the cross not for perfect people, but for messed up people. And he repeatedly shows us through Genesis that he uses messed up people for his perfect means. And the question is, will you receive that by faith or will you continue on and just trying to act like you've got it all together? Continue on doing your own thing, whatever it may be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning we, we ask, Lord, that you would use this crazy story in our lives. Lord, some of us can identify with the craziness of, of life. Others of us have come from regular homes that have just seem to have it all together, and we don't even see the craziness that we've been involved with. So, Lord, allow us to see just our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our, our own broken families. And, Lord, would you work in our lives to reveal to us our need for you. But, Lord, there's many here this morning that know their need uh, for you, their need for relationship with you. And, God, I'm praying that you would that you would allow us to experience your grace and your mercy this morning. Lord, I'm praying that we would see it in the reality that you chose to use Tamar in order to bring about the great offspring, you yourself. So Lord, we're we're thankful that, for that, and this morning we just ask that you'd, uh, that you'd work here. It's in your name we pray. Amen.